And thanks to Crime Malt, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, editor of Australian Brews News. And as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, co-conspirator, all-round good beer guy and great beer presenter, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, everybody. I hope I'm sounding well still. Oh, mate, you are, your dulcetivity, as we discussed last week, is fantastic. In Might fact, have the last actually podcast... crept up 20% more. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Uh, and uh, you know, listening to the last podcast, we recorded the interview when you were on your old microphone and the uh, the intro when you are on the new microphone and the sound. I, I think it, it's well above 20. We're talking of uh, quantum uh, dulcetivity. That, that'll shift. go down in history as our, um, as our crossover uh, episode of Radio Bridge News because it, it was old morphing into into a new, and it was also with our uh, producer Lockie McIntosh who uh, did a great job. Got he did a pretty done. fair effort. He did. He, so, he, has, uh, he has made a sound a lot better, almost professional. It, almost professional, like as professional as, as he can do with with the tribe that we <laughs> serve up to him. Give him time. He's he's giving us notes after each episode now, so uh, we, we've got our homework to do. But anyway, he's um, the ultimate sales ear seamstress. One of the notes he has uh, already passed is when you've made a point, leave move it on. be and move on. Yes. Yeah, so was that, but, uh, was that was that um, addressed, or was it just was that just general? <laughs> moving on. Um, pot kettle um, springs to mind, but anyway, yes, moving on, mate. Uh, one of the things with uh, coming out with an episode a week will be that we won't have as much to uh, rant on about in in between um, times. Um, but last Saturday night. Um, we're recording this on Monday. It'll go to air um, this Friday, uh, but last Saturday, um, so a Saturday a week ago for those who are listening to it fresh, um, Bruce Vegas launched with a great party at um, Wandering Cooks in Brisbane. It was a real gathering of the Brisbane beer tribes. Very, very exciting. Came after a torrential um, Queensland downpour, something that I haven't seen for quite a while, just the uh, great rain. But the people were there um, wet, bedraggled, but in very, very good spirits. Um, so really exciting to see. By the time uh, this comes out, Bruce Vegas will be all but a distant memory. Um, so we'll probably report more fully on the uh, on the coverage afterwards. But no, very good start to Bruce Vegas. Mate, in other news, uh, just uh, jumping straight up on the soapbox, I don't know, did you see there was a tweet that came out over the weekend? Uh, you know, the, the good people at Stella have gotten all altruistic. Oh, Okay. We might, we, for some people, some of our listeners, we might need to put that in the show notes with a, a dictionary definition. What, what do you mean, altruistic? Altruistic. They, they've they, they've uh, opened their wallet. They want to give away, uh, you know, 1.2 million US dollars um, because in parts of the world, people are, find it very hard to get water. Um, and uh, according to Stella, um, 750 million people around the world live without access to clean water. This crisis disproportionately affects women who can walk 200 million hours a day collecting water for their families. 200 million hours a day? Well, if you added all of the people who were maybe walking an hour or two. Oh, uh, so it's it. not one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, just what, yeah. And it was the way it sounded. Making, I'm thinking, geez, somebody's working hard. Not making But that's light between them all. all. Yeah, absolutely. Not making light at all um, of... Uh, what the the background of the campaign is. It's a very, very uh, you know important issue um, for the world to confront. Um, Stella Artois' particular way of dealing with it is if you buy a heavily branded uh, chalice, um, something that 
you know, and there's a photo on the website. We might even uh, copy that and post it to, in, in the show notes. There is a engraved, gold-bedecked, very ornate, uh, heavily branded Stella uh, Artois chalice. And if you buy one chalice, uh, they will donate five um, years of clean water. Um, now, none of the people who will be benef benefiting from that water will drink it from the glass, no doubt, but uh, us in the, the first world can buy the, the, the glass and Stella will then do the good thing. And they've also followed it up with a campaign where if you retweet their tweet saying how good they are, they will donate one year of uh, water um, to the campaign. Now, Again, it's it's one of those situations, Prof. I always feel like um, I've got a gun at my head. I feel a little bit like when you you know, um, what's the the term for when you turn up at the traffic lights and you get um, it's not mugged, but it's charity mugged um, at the traffic lights and you're almost shamed into donating at the traffic lights. You know, it, it's a fantastic cause um, and it's very easy to retweet, but ultimately, none of this has anything to do. Oh, sorry. This has more to do with Stella getting its name out there than it does for any campaign. Um, and you, you, you've written about similar campaigns. Uh, VB's got its Raise a Glass campaign where a dollar of every carton of VB that's bought around Anzac Day gets donated to, to veterans. Another fantastic cause, one that you do not need any incentive to um, you know, donate to. Participate in, yep. Um, and and, and you know, a dollar should be the very minimum you're giving. You know, you give till it hurts um, sort of campaign. Um, but, you know, it, I, I've always taken the view that VB has spent millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, filming, scripting, you know, uh, and, and they're beautifully shot um, and they buy airtime for it. And you sort of think, well, would that those millions be better spent given directly to the campaign and then you know, find out you know, more effective ways to, you know, in cheaper ways to tell people how generous you are than spending the millions on, on, on the self-promotion to raise a much smaller amount for the actual uh, campaign. Is it just that if people think, well, you know, I donate to things anyway, but it would be nice to be able to kind of donate and have a beer at the same time? I don't know. Is this what they call slacktivism, you know, where all it takes is a retweet and you've I've done something good. I've changed the world. Yeah, and but the, the the problem here, particularly with the Stella one, for my mind, and you know, good good on them for getting involved and getting behind a very worthy cause. But the whole thing is presented around getting the Stella name out there. The, the name is out there, and you know, the, the the highly cynical part of me wonders whether, well, the you know the the, the countries that are going to really benefit from this um, are places like India and Africa. Um, which, if you've, if you've been reading you know, about the beer business recently, are also what the multinational brewing companies, the, the two continents that the multinational brewing companies see as the emerging beer drinking markets. So India with a rising middle class. Um, beer is uh, the, 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 the product that a lot of them are turning to. Um, so you know, is this campaign primarily about the good that it does or is it about creating brand awareness in a country that Stella is hoping to flog beer to, um, you know, very, very quickly. And, you know, the, the, the campaign is also called Buy a Lady a Drink. Getting women to drink beer is another, uh, you know, white whale for, for the brewers. Um, you know, it, it looks to me like they're really trying to kill a couple of marketing birds with one stone, 
create brand awareness and you know a, a feel good effect in Africa and India much more and and with uh, amongst women much more than solve a, a a world issue particularly when in the scheme of things 1.2 million dollars for stellar artois they would drop that on their pr you know on, on pr a month i'd imagine yeah and look i don't know a lot about advertising but the lady featured in the ad she didn't look too impressed maybe, <laughs> no. maybe he's, she, he's holding up a glass of water in a stellar and maybe she's going oh, i was hoping for some stellar I, 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 I was, I was going to make a comment. Was it? Is it a glass of water that he's holding, or is it a glass of Stella? But you know, <laughs> don't know. Any, anyway, but yeah, look, I, I think rant over. It's one of those things. You know, Stella, just give the money, and then if people feel positively about it, you will reap those rewards. Well, people don't... like people like us will tell people like you that are listening that people like Stella donated a large amount of money with no expectation of anything in return. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. Um, but you know, I. I, I, I don't know. There, there seems to have been a lot of umbrage cast uh, you know, around the world at you know, how cynical it is. But, you know, I, I read, sent out a tweet. And it's very hard. It's one of those things you don't want to give them airspace. It's, it's like, but this is a case where, you know, uh, you almost need to highlight just how bad it is. So, you know, anyway. Um, my, we shall I see. We'll see. We'll see what happens in the wash up. Well, I hashtagged it with uh, donate, don't retweet, and uh, lives, not brands, because to me, this seems to be more about brands than about saving lives. But anyway, that's just me. Soapbox over, Prof. Done. Lockie, how was that? Did we keep that rant nice and short? Anyway, um, moving on. Uh, nothing else to say. Um, we've got two interviews today. One is an interview that, uh, a nice short little interview um, with Brendan Varis, who is on the board of the Craft Beer Industry Association. The Craft Beer Industry Association has just announced its program for the 2015 Craft Beer Conference. Um, and Brendan's, uh, we're going to have a chat to him about um, what that is. It's a little bit different from last year. They've taken on some feedback. Prof, maybe you can tell us a bit about the changes that they've made. Yeah. Um, some of the feedback last year was that uh, while the information given, particularly in the, the seminars, was was really terrific, um, it almost needed to be divided into uh, industry in terms of technical and industry in terms of, uh, if you like, consumer, retail, sales, marketing, that sort of thing. So there'll be two separate um, streams running concurrently. So the brewers can pop off to room A where they'll be uh, learning about water chemistry or yeast or <coughs> malt or whatever it might be. And then in room B will be a more, uh, I guess, consumer uh, focused in terms of, you know, like the art of selling craft and, uh, you know, marketing your your beers and, and, and your business, uh, retail tips and tricks and, and that sort of thing, uh, more that kind of focus. So the brewers can be in one room while the sales reps and perhaps, you know, the bar staff or whatever it might be um, can come along to the other. Well, that's a very nice summary. Thank you very much. And so I'm not sure we need to get Brendan Varis on now, but... Oh, he'll, sure. he'll say it much better than me. <laughs> <laughs> He'll say in other ways, and also just some of the other things that the CBA. Uh, yeah, so uh, we'll we'll have a chat to to Brennan, and after that, we're speaking to Cam Pierce, who's the marketing director for Coopers. In the garden, what a garden! Only happy faces bloom. Welcome to the show, Brennan Varis. There's been a uh, an, another big week for one of your beers. Yeah, another another big week. We're what are we? Critics' Choice this week, and again, fortunate enough to get ticked off in the number one spot by the critics around the country, and that always makes 
the guys around the brewery puff their chest out a little bit and walk a little bit taller. So yeah, good. Man, it's lucky you don't get a trophy for all of these things. It's just the uh, you know the, the prestige and the reputation that comes with it. You'd be needing to build a bigger brewery to fit the trophies. <laughs> Not the trophies. We need a bigger brewery to make more beer, Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we we, we uh, had a chat to you on Australia Day for the Hottest 100. But we uh, today we're talking about uh, you in your capacity as part of the Craft Beer Industry Association um, and talking about the Craft Brewers Conference for 2015 that's coming up in May. Yeah, that's right. Um, in the middle, in the midst of everything else that's happening in Melbourne uh, during Good Beer Week, the Craft Beer Industry Association is running our annual conference and um, yeah, it'd be good to have a little talk about that and what's involved and who's talking and what why we're doing it. Well, I guess, uh, tell us a little bit, everyone knows the Craft Beer Industry Association, Australia's uh, craft brewing industry uh, body. Um, last year you had your first uh, Craft Brewers Conference and you had a great panel of uh, speakers. Um, Phil Sexton's uh, speech was one of the best I've heard for a long time when he was talking about the origins of craft and what it means. Tell us a, a little bit about the panel that you've got lined up and the special guests that you've got this year. Yeah, well, again, uh, Phil Sexton keynoting last year was, was fantastic, one of the real pioneers of craft brewing, getting up there and, and telling us about uh, his story and, and, and his craft beer journey. And, and this year we've got Steve Hindy from the Brooklyn Brewery. Now... Steve, I guess, is very much a, a pioneer of the, the U.S. craft beer industry. Brooklyn, I think, is in the, the top 10 biggest, one of the top 10 biggest craft breweries in, in the U.S., maybe top 15. Certainly a well-established brewery. Um, and, and I've heard Steve speak before. He's a fantastic speaker, and um, he will really have everyone on the edge of their seat when, he, when he's talking about craft beer. He's been doing it a long time, but his passion really comes out when he talks about it. So... Um, and he's he's got a book. Um, I, I've read his book, Beer School, um, that talks about the formative years for Brooklyn Brewery and how that came about, and you know all of the things that they learned um, being not just a pioneering brewery, but in a pioneering market, and uh, all of the various models they tried. And you know, he certainly, for anyone that's got an interest in building or owning a brewery, he can teach a lot, um, and you can learn a lot from his mistakes and his uh, successes. Yeah, absolutely, and and we look forward to a, a bit of that being shared with us during during his keynote, and it's really relevant to where we are here in Australia now, where whereby we're still, I think, I think fairly embryonic um, as an industry, um, the embryonic stages, and and so Steve sharing some of his early experiences is going to be invaluable to everyone in the room. But it's not just, despite its name, the Craft Brewers Conference this year, the CBAA taking its mission to uh, re, you know, for education um, uh, across the industry. You've also got a uh, program that's you know, really relevant, not just to the people who are making the beer, but the people who are uh, charged with selling it for the brewery, the people who are charged with uh, buying and retailing it. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really important. It's all very well and good for us to, to, run a, to, run, to run the main conference, which helps us make beer better and, and market what we do better, um, which is broadly the two streams, one, one being um, technical and the other one being more uh, business running side of the main conference. Separately, we've got a one-day symposium, which is uh, pitched out the hospitality industry. Um, craft beer has come a long way really, really quickly, and, and it's, it's important that, that we share what we do with the people who are at the coalface and, and selling our beer to the final consumer. Um, 
when things move quickly, sometimes the knowledge doesn't keep up with the with the hype, um, and we want to make sure the craft beer is not hype, but the the knowledge is there, and the people that are that are um, you know buying and buying our beer and presenting it to the public do have good knowledge. It's about it's about skilling them up, letting them curate a list, make sure it's balanced, make sure it's proper, it's um, correct for their venue, because uh, the last thing we want is is people buying craft beer and it doesn't really it's the wrong beer for the wrong situation and, and it sits there and doesn't sell so that's that's not good for any craft brewer um so so really to to skill skill up um the hospitality people with some good information about what we do and why we do it um is the aim of that conference that sounds very important is. um because you know there's a lot of focus on brew house management and making good beer um and, and that's a very important issue but Getting the beer to market and you know selling it and uh, you know venues ensuring that the beer is turning over once it's on tap. How to look after it on tap. How to sell it. How to encourage people to come into your venue and buy the beers to keep them turning over. They're all very important parts of the craft beer chain, aren't they? Yeah, it, it, it's crucial because um, and and a term that term that I've heard you use before, um, you know, craft beer is a broad church. Not every craft beer suits every beer tap or every venue. So, um, giving the hospitality industry the knowledge to work out what the right ones are for what situation is is very very important. And also, just to let them give them a little bit of flavour training. You know, do we do we really like bitter beers, or is it or, or is that not the right one? Is this beer perhaps a little tired, and, and maybe the brewer would prefer that I gave them a yell and and um, and organise uh, a replacement because it's probably not as good as it could be. Those type of things are, are all really relevant because bad, bad beer um, in the industry is bad for everybody. And giving staff, you know, there's this real debate at the moment about whether craft beer is becoming a little bit too fussy and stuffy, but with beers on tap um, that are very different to the lagers that traditionally uh, were, were on tap in most hotels, and you, you walk into a uh, pub and uh, I... Commonly, you know, sort of pretend that I'm, uh, you know, the, the knowledgeless consumer, which I may or may not be, and you know, just ask the, the guy behind the tap, oh, look, you know, that stone of wood, tell me a little bit about that, and so, oh, mate, it's a big beer, and you sort of think, well, maybe that's not the best language, that's going to scare a lot of people off, and stone of wood is a, you know, an example of a very approachable craft beer style, and if you've got your sales reps telling you, oh, that's a big beer, or it's sweet, or it's fruity. That might be putting a lot of people off, and even just giving your bar staff, you're learning as a venue owner, or having your bar staff learn how to describe beers better, um, is going to really help with the pull through on taps. It's exactly yeah, exactly right. The terminology um, and just the ability to accurately describe. And so, so Chuck Chuck Hahn's leading a session on that, and a little sensory session in the in the hospitality or the, the um, beer sellers symposium. Um, and you know Chuck's been doing this a long time, and he's got the right terminology and He'll hopefully make sure everyone walks, walks out of there being able to describe beer a bit better than when they walked in. Luke Nicholas uh, posted something recently talking about um, venues curating a beer list and not just putting on every uh, crazy thing. And obviously he's a fellow with some beer to sell himself. But did, you know, did, did he make some good points about you know venues need to have an appreciation of you know maybe what is good beer, um, so they are ordering and curating their menu and uh, Putting good beer in front of the the, the punter. Yeah, um, he, absolutely. And and how to curate a beer list is is it is I think one of the topics within the um, symposium, maybe under a slightly different name. 
Uh, but, but it's very important. And also understanding that craft beer is a product that doesn't have an infinite life. So don't just buy this special beer because it's here now. And even though I don't have the space to sell it, I'll sell it in six months' time because there's every chance it's not it's not going to be the beer that you bought in six months' time. Don't um, you just reel it out as a barrel-aged beer then? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, some may do that. Um, <laughs> but it's probably not the right thing to do. But, uh, yeah, to, the, the the totality of, of curating a list, which, in, which includes understanding that some beers do need to be drunk fresh, not all, um, and so don't buy them for storing. Um, really, the an overall understanding of, of what craft beer is, what, you, what you're offering is, why you're offering it, who your customer is, which ones they want is, is, is what we want to get across because um, it's not every beer for uh, everybody. And, and I know that these are topics that are very close to your heart personally. You know, uh, you sell beer across to the east coast of Australia, but you refrigerate it. You, you make sure that it's refrigerated. You've looked very long and hard at your distribu- distribution chains, and you've been around long enough that you, I guess, you've made some mistakes yourself. Uh, is it the benefit of the wisdom of people such as yourself and Chuck Hahn that you know newer brewers and even more established brewers uh, can come along and, and learn from through these seminars? Yeah, I think that's that's the whole intention of the getting back probably more to the main the main conference rooms now. We've I mean we've been plugging away for a while um, over here at Ferrell, and for a long time it was it was a pilgrimage up to the US to their CBC for me to be able to um, get a bit of information back in the early days. Now with an industry as a, as, as there are you know some more mature breweries in it, um, to be able to share that with each other and to help each other improve what we do and the quality of our beer and the way we get it to market. Um, it's you know, really you know, the, the classic kind of altruistic part of the industry that we talk about. We say it's a great industry full of great blokes and um, we don't compete with each other. Um, and this is really an opportunity for us to prove that by, by sharing what we do and helping each other out during this conference. And, uh, you know, refrigerating your beer in market is... is uh... Um, great thing I hear you've been doing some experiments in uh, freezing your beer to get it to market. <laughs> that was no experiment. So some, some, some sometimes little mistakes happen. We did we did have a pallet of um, we did have a pallet of beer turn up there to Queensland that was frozen solid, and um, the hard part of that is we we also apart from freezing we also run on really um, tight. Uh, stock levels as well. Um, one thing keeping it cold, but there's no point having six months worth of beer in stock. So when you when you lose a lose a shipment to Queensland where we don't have a lot of stock on hand, it means means Queensland was out of, without beer for a, for a week or so while we replaced it. Just bef- before uh, Bruce Vegas Bruce as well. Vegas. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, terrible timing. <laughs> Mind so, you, there could have been beer lollipops. Yeah, well, I should have a should have a keg of cut arriving in a couple of days' time somewhere in Queensland. Very exciting. Well, Brendan, we'll, uh, uh, we might leave it at that for today. Keen to talk to you uh, some more about some of the uh, plans you've got for Feral very soon, so we'll get you back on the show. Um, people can go to australiancraftbeer.org.au and they'll see on the front page there a link to the Australian Craft Brewers Conference 2015. Also, if you're reading this on Australian Brewers News, there is a masthead ad um, or there'll be ads on site taking you to the uh, Craft Brewers Conference where you can buy tickets or go to... Uh, 
Good Beer Week uh, website for Melbourne. You can buy tickets through there. Brendan Varis, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News again. All the best for the conference, and uh, congratulations once again for all of the success you've had so far this year for Feral. Thanks, Coco. Always good to talk to you, mate. Okay, Prof, that was Brendan Varis. Um, look, he's a man who needs no real introduction. Um, great to hear. And uh, yeah, look, can we, the, can the we just also point out that Critics' Choice uh, edition number five ebook this year uh, for the fourth year running Hop Hog number one. Number one, yes. So number one, uh, hottest uh, one hundred, hottest one hundred, uh, and, and number one. Choice. So can 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 we just get on with it and say it's Australia's best beer? Oh, that's it's very subjective, but yes. Cam Pierce is the uh, took over as the marketing director for uh, Coopers when Glenn Cooper, um, one of the fifth generation Coopers, uh, resigned last year. It's great to speak to someone who's come from outside the company, but really um, holds very strongly um, to the the Coopers ethics. So he's one of those guys, and it's one of those breweries that, if you're interested in wondering how this craft beer movement is going to survive and how it's going to go moving forward. Watching Coopers is a really good way to understand the uh, evolution of the market. So, uh, yeah, um, this is an old interview that I recorded uh, sometime last year, uh, towards the end of last year with Cam Pierce. Now, Cam, I've been writing about Coopers for a long time now and I've managed to speak to most of the Coopers family, but this is the first time that we've met. Uh, Maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. You've uh, got a very extensive uh, business and marketing history outside of the Cooper's Brewery. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, your experience. Yeah, sure, man. Look, I think, uh, I mean, my sort of connection with the uh, brewing business uh, started at a very young age because my um, father and my father-in-law, Maxwell Cooper, uh, both uh, did their training at Adelaide University in chemistry. So uh, Dad went into South Australian Brewing Company uh, as head brewer and Maxwell obviously went into Cooper's. So uh, my uh, uni days were, uh, or the holidays were spent at uh, South Australian Brewing Company um, picking uh, lows uh, for dispatch. Um, and uh, Was there so, any conflict between the two of you? Well, look, in those early days, it was, uh, you know, I was in my 20s and what have you, so the families had a long connection. Um, you know, my... Um, my grandfather made biscuits, men's biscuits, and he and uh, my wife's grandfather, uh, Ray, um, would have a beer after work periodically. So there's been a family connection um, um, going back a while, so it was probably um, not, un- not unusual that I ended up uh, marrying Robin. So, um, But really, I didn't get directly involved in Cooper's uh, until Maxwell retired from the board. Um, so I took over his uh, position on the board and uh, prior to that I actually started my career in sales and marketing with um, Shell Company of Australia. So I, I did uh, um, sales roles in um, Adelaide, uh, Melbourne and also um, had a stint up in uh, Port Moresby and Papua New Guinea which was both um, uh, retail uh, service station and uh, um, commercial um, marketing. So, uh, and then came back to Adelaide, and then I had uh, 10 years at uh, CEO at uh, Mills on Wheels in South Australia, which is a, a non profit um, organisation that uh, provided uh, meals and uh, contact for primarily older people that were uh, at home to help them stay at home. And uh, so you were on the board, and then when Glenn. Uh, so I, was, I, I went on the board in uh, 2002, and then uh, when I. Um, uh, 
left Mills on Wheels. I went full time at Coopers. Um, that was about four years ago, and started off in business development. Um, and then uh, Glenn took over, looking after premium beverages, and I looked after. Uh, um, SAMT sales and Cooper's marketing and then following uh, Glenn's uh, retirement in um, July this year I now look after sales and marketing for uh, both Cooper's and our subsidiary company Premium Beverages that distributes our products outside SAMT so it's been a bit of a whirlwind um, uh, sort of uh, tour since I uh, started full-time but one that's been absolutely enjoyable and uh, uh, because I've had such a long association with the family it's um, you know great joy and privilege to be uh, part of the day-to-day. And you joined the board at a very uh, interesting time in, in the Cooper's history. Uh, they only started premium beverages in 2002, around the time you joined. That's right. Very soon after, there was the takeover battle with Lion. Um, you've seen uh, record growth uh, for the Cooper's uh, brewery itself, um, this year surpassing 80 million litres, and yeah. um, were forecast to surpass 80 million litres. Um, how, how was it uh, through, those, through the early 2000s? Look, I, I think as you said, the, uh, the company's been enjoying um, uh, tremendous growth through, through a lot of hard work, obviously, but uh, I think we've had just under 10% compound annual growth for the last uh, 21 years, so that's a great credit to everybody involved. And certainly that's accelerated um, since um, premium beverages came on the scene. We've had uh, you know, significant growth uh, outside uh, SANT as uh, people have started to come to appreciate especially our uh, ales, Cooper's Original Pale Ale and our Sparkling Ale, um, mild and dark ale as well. So uh, we've had great growth through there and indeed we're still growing. Um, We're putting on more staff um, in premium beverages to help meet demand. So there's still a lot of organic uh, growth uh, available to us, I think, especially uh, in the eastern states. And also we're getting growth out of Western Australia. So so that's a good story and um, and that's also been reflected in our uh, capital investment. So uh, uh, since moving to uh, Regency Park in Adelaide from our uh, Leebrook, uh, small Leebrook brewery, we had been there for some 80 or so uh, years or more than that, um, you know, we've been putting in more fermenting um, vessels. Uh, we've increased the, uh, um, the brew house uh, with a, uh, an additional mash tun uh, and uh, there's been uh, further growth and development in the bottling line. So we've uh, put in a second bottling line in December last year and associated uh, developments of the Lager Cellar. Um, and that was another $20 million. Uh, so since moving to Regency in 2001, uh, we've really had uh, almost $160 million, I think it is, of uh, investment there to sort of help uh, meet that growth demand. So it's really been a very exciting uh, journey. Uh, as you said, there's, there's one sort of uh, aberrant aspect was the Lion takeover or Lion Nathan uh, hostile takeover in 2005. Um, but look, I think that the, the really the most important point to make about that whole episode is that uh, when it came down to the wire and we were able to have the uh, extraordinary general meeting to actually for shareholders rather than uh, you know, for, for, the, for the owners of the company to uh, have their position heard, you know, some 94% of shareholders voted to take Lion Nathan off our constitution, which effectively um, stopped the, uh, the the takeover process. So I think um, it was a uh, obviously a very tense time, uh, and I was a non-executive director at that time. So uh, you know, Tim and Glenn and the like were taking the brunt of it. Um, and supported by Melanie. So uh, I think, um, you know, it's uh, good to have that behind us um, and um, uh, the uh, company continues to grow. Indeed, the share price has superseded that which uh, uh, Lion offered. So it's a, 
a satisfying thing, and, and all going well, we'll uh, you know, if we sort of stick to uh, uh, staying focused and uh, focusing on quality and service um, and the like, we'll continue to uh, uh, enjoy success and growth. Well, talking uh, success and growth, back in 2006, at the height of the takeover, the shares were valued at uh, around about $318. Um, what uh, does your internal uh, valuing uh, value put them at Look, now? Uh, 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 the last lot was three fifty seven, I think. Three fifty seven. Yeah. So uh, we're still continuing yeah. to see. So, uh, but uh, so we, there's the um, uh, we do the valuation twice a year for uh, um, dividend reinvestment. So, uh, so yeah. So that's we, uh, we we've had um, you know we've had growth in the share price, which has been a good thing. Um, I hear lots of different figures about the, the size of the craft beer market. Um, what position uh, Cooper's occupies in it? What's your own uh, what, 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 what do your figures put the share of the Australian beer market for Coopers? Well, look, I think the, the uh, it, it's getting close to five percent. I think that it, it varies depending on different sources. But when you look at all the different figures that come through, we're getting close to five percent of the total beer market, which I think is about one point six, one point six five billion litres. Um, and uh, the craft market, uh, which is the fastest growing segment of uh, the beer market, uh, is put variously between you know um, four and six percent. Um, and, uh, and then the premium Australian beer market, which really has been the segment um, that has also been in growth over the last um, not many years, uh, and when where Cooper's clearly sits in that premium segment, we've been uh, growing with that segment. Um, so, and, and as I said, now we're seeing um, craft beer, um, you know, almost explode really. Uh, and I think, you know, clearly um, Cooper's uh, fits in well within that craft segment. I mean, I think it would be fair to say that we're not just a craft brewer, we're more than craft, but clearly we've got um, tremendous craft credentials. Um, I always our, like to balance. Range. Yes, right. I, I, I always like to ba- well, I always like to balance figures like that. You know, so Cooper's offer occupies four and a half to five percent, and I think Corona itself, which isn't even available on tap, is about four and a half percent. That's so right. I always yes, like to yes. uh, give that a bit of perspective. But it's interesting to hear you say that um, you know, it's always very hard to uh, pigeonhole Cooper's uh, for a long time before there was a craft. Segment and the craft segment in Australia really only uh, has originated since probably Little Creatures in 99, 2000. Before then, there was premium or mainstream, um, and Coopers was always clearly a premium bin. Mm. But do you see Coopers as being a craft brewery or a premium brewery, or is it? Does it really matter to Coopers at all where it sits? Well, I suppose if you look at something like uh, Sparkling Ale, uh, which we've had going for 152 years, you could argue that that's very much the granddaddy of craft beer. I, I think, you know, as I said, we're we're not a. I mean, we're not like a um, sort of a, a small micro brewery, craft brewery that makes their own products and and sort of has a local distribution, which is you know, again a great a great thing in our, our beer landscape. Um, and, and clearly, we've got large production facilities that. Uh, enable us to be very very consistent and make uh, you know high quality products so uh, and clearly you know when when one talks about craft uh, it does mean so many different things to different people it's not a nice homogeneous um, category you've got sort of um, premium craft um, uh, with people like us where we've got our Thomas Cooper selection where we've got uh, Celebration Ale and more recently we released Artisan Reserve uh, and um, and, um, pasteurised lager beer uh, in that section. Um, uh, You've got the big boys with their, um, 
uh, craft offerings uh, and you've got some international stuff that comes through and you've got very local brewers making um, you know uh, uh, almost uh, single batch offerings as well so it's quite a diverse area within that um, craft segment um, and I think by and large that's a good thing because it creates um, interest uh, and uh, excitement around beer um, and you know, especially from our point of view it uh, introduces people to um, uh, you know, the ale styles which we obviously specialise in, I mean you know, 90% of uh, beer um, globally I think is lagers and I mean be less than that in places like United Kingdom but uh, certainly in Australia that's the case so I think um, you know there's a great opportunity with the interesting craft for people to engage with um, our product offering especially on the ales. I mean having said that we've also got a very good you know lager range as well and we've been uh, uh, making lagers for a number of years and um, and more recently through premium beverages that's uh, that uh, lager offering has been um, supported by our partner brands like um, Socorro, uh, Carlsberg and uh, Cronenberg. So uh, and uh, Mythos for that matter as well. So we've got a, you know, probably the most um, diverse and um, complementary portfolio we've had in our company's history. Uh, and uh, it enables us to compete in, in all the segments, really. It's interesting to hear you describe. There, there are so many questions I'd like to sort of come yeah. out of that little uh, um, exchange, but um, it's interesting to hear you talk about the most diverse um, portfolio that uh, Coopers has ever had because it was back in the 70s, I think, when uh, Coopers installed its, it, had its first experiment with lager mm. um, production and uh, invested a lot of money and uh, didn't quite come off in those days. And it, it was that expenditure that very, really nearly, uh, that very nearly broke the company um, back then. Um, it's back much stronger these days. Um, but there have been several attempts at a, a lager, and it was, I, I guess, fair to say that once Coopers Clear hit the market in 2010, mm. from memory, yep. um, that you finally found a, a market niche um, for one of your lager products, and yes. you've now added a, a range of international yes. uh, products. Mm. How important is a healthy lager portfolio um, to the ongoing fortunes of Cooper? Coopers? Uh, look, I think um, uh, for engagement with the trade, um, I mean, having a, 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 a solid portfolio. Um, is really important. Um, so, uh, as I said, Clear is a good example in that uh, dry, low carb market which uh, we went into, and that's been successful and continues uh, to do well, um, meeting a, a clear niche. Um, and uh, you know, we've still got our lager there and our light, uh, and um, having uh, Carlsberg as an international um, lager um, clearly fills the spot there, um, as does Sapporo uh, with our uh, Japanese beer and Cronenberg, which is also. Um, a uh, you know, Carlsberg product with their uh, Cronenberg 1664 and, and, the, and the Blanc, which is a recently uh, introduced beer as well, uh, a wheat beer, which is a, a very fruity style. Um, and Mythos there having that sort of Hellenic Greek beer. So I think having that portfolio. So the ones we brew, we, we brew uh, uh, Carlsberg um, in the bottles and also in the 500ml cans and uh, Sapporo and obviously in, in kegs. Uh, and at the moment we, uh, we're bringing in um, 1664 and Blanc and Mythos um, and then distributing accordingly. So I think it's good to have that portfolio. Um, you know, our ale range is still the, um, you know, at the 70% of, uh, of the volume and sales and within that, um, Cooper's original pale ale is still, you know, half of the total volume. So that, that's still critical to us. Um, but if we look at that Rondell range of um, Cooper's original pale ale, sparkling ale, 
Mildale, Dark Ale uh, and uh, Stout. Um, that's a really solid um, sort of ale portfolio that we have in the, in the sort of that the round rondelle um, label. And then we've got Vintage Ale that we produce uh, each year, which is a lot of fun um, and very popular, and that's a limited uh, release. You know, we sort of make it in the first at the beginning of July and uh, also release it at the beginning of July and have a lot of fun with the marketing and the sampling and the tasting of that because we can now do those vertical tastings because you can keep it for a number of years and so uh, that, that's that's good fun and as I said earlier we've got Thomas Cooper's selection with um, Celebration Isle and Artisan Reserve so it's uh, they're, 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 they're uh, you know it's a uh, a good range of products that gives us um, you know a lot to say to the trade and a lot to talk about with our consumer base which is really you know probably the most important element of all. I'm speaking with Cam Pearce, Marketing Director for Cooper's so and we might take a quick break and thank one of the people that make this show possible. In the garden, what a garden, only happy faces bloom. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Cam, just before the break, you, you you mentioned when you went through the Lager portfolio that it gives you something to talk to trade about, and that's something that I think the the average beer drinker, when they walk in, to say, you know, you've got Cooper's Sparkling Ale, which is classic Cooper's Pale Ale, you've got Cooper's Stout, you've got this classic range of uh, beers. Um, isn't it incongruous that Cooper's brings out a uh, low carb lager, and isn't it incongruous that they bring out a uh, international premium? But one of the things that drives that for a business like Cooper's is, as you said, very much the trade. When you go along to a hotelier to say, take our ales or uh, take take this portfolio of beers, they would rather have a bit of a one-stop shop from a, a brewery, wouldn't they? Well, look, I think uh, the, the uh, I think, um, we have one-stop shops, one thing. I think from our point of view, um, we always, um, you know, we, we going down the path of sort of exclusive supply is something that you know, we, we seem to find out doesn't satisfy people in the trade if, if they take an exclusive uh, position. Um, so I think they'll all you know we want to offer consumers um, you know what they want. Um, but certainly from our point of view, it's good to have a portfolio that um, for those uh, you know market segments and niches uh, that we've got a product that can um, uh, fulfil it. So um, that that's the benefit I think of having a, a, an integrated portfolio um, and also something that internally is not in conflict. So if, if you like um, our um, partner brands, um, you know Carlsberg, Sapporo, Mythos, and Kronberg, they don't compete with our ale range. They're you know I mean you know, they're different production. Uh, processes uh, and things like Cooper, Cooper's Clear and Cooper's Light also aren't competing with anything. So it's a it's a good portfolio uh, to have, and of course it's um, you know spearheaded by you know pale and sparkling and, and mild. We're getting great growth out of mild our mid strength beer uh, as well. That market segment is growing, and we're growing with it also. Is that a challenge for Cooper's going forward? I guess as you get bigger. Um, 
and Coopers would well and truly have picked up the low-hanging fruit, so it's much harder to, to get your growth these days. But the, the, the larger you grow, a lot of people have traditionally seen Coopers as being, you know, the, the, the underdog or the smaller brewery or the, the one that you love, the, the Australian Aussie battler. Um, well, and, and I, hope, I hope that continues because even at 5%, we're, we're not top dog, that's for sure. So, uh, no, look, I think we, uh, yes, we've been getting growth and we want to continue to pursue that, um, but it's in a very, very, you know, competitive and aggressive marketplace. I mean, we've got... Um, uh, you know, Kieran Line and SAB Miller, CUB, um, you know, being the two dominant players, um, you know, uh, retail concentration and uh, the craft segment growing underneath. So the market is as competitive as ever, and the category is in decline, especially off premise. So uh, on premise, I should say. Um, so uh, there's, there's no shortage uh, of challenges. I think the the things that define how I would say define uh, Coopers in terms of um, that we people won't um, change their overarching view of us is because we are still independent uh, and family owned, and it is well, those sort of values and, uh, um, and attributes of the company really are quite eternal and don't change. Um, so we're in, you know, uh, Tim's uh, and Melanie Cooper, the fifth generation Coopers, uh, uh, Rachel uh, Glenn's daughters come in at sixth generation. So. The, the, there's a continuity, I think, uh, going through that, and that uh, is something that does resonate uh, because we're more than a brand, we're a family, and I think uh, um, that resonates at a consumer level. So I think so long as that uh, reality uh, is in place and that connection's in place, um, you know, we'll be well-placed. <laughs> from an outsider, and I, I guess I'll uh, make a statement and uh, get you to comment on it, but I do watch from the other two big brewers the churn of staff and the number of people that may be coming from Procter and Gamble marketing and spend some time at uh, the brewery and then move on and you get a sense that they don't live the product um, whilst they, they, they talk about it and uh, the constant turnover affects corporate memory. Mm. CUB recently, uh, something that I was very closely uh, chasing was the Crown Lager story where they mm. told a story about Crown Lager that ended up being marketers self-referencing their own marketing without yeah. any start point to the to, to primary research. I don't see that sort of thing uh, happening in Coopers because there is that constant family connection uh, and what, what is often called corporate memory these days. And yeah. How important is corporate memory to the um, consistency within the, 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 the business development? I, I think corporate memory is important um, it is important, and I think I think you're right. A, a lot of uh, multinationals it tend, tends to get lost because of, of changes and the like. Um, and clearly, in our case, you know, I mean, uh, Tim sort of goes back 20 plus years, 20, uh, and then Bill, his father. So you have these connections. So as decisions get made, uh, I think the dynamics of the time or what was driving them um, re remain in place. So. Uh, and known about, so I think that does that, that does provide uh, continuity and stability, um, and also a certain perhaps you know caution about um, you know uh, flip flopping with fads and things like that. Uh, not not to, not not saying that uh, you don't change or respond by any means, but uh, I think it does give you a, a strong keel um, to um, sort of sail your yacht by, so to speak. I don't think I've ever spoken to uh, Dr. Tim Cooper um, without him using the expression at least once stick to your knitting, yeah. <laughs> which sounds like what you're saying there, but as well obviously responding and Correct. to, to yeah. various trends. Yeah. Yes, I mean you don't want to be stuck in the mud, but uh, uh, equally you don't want to be swayed by just you know, um, 
temporal things. And I guess uh, this is possibly more of a question for Brewer, um, such as uh, Tim Cooper, but uh, long before I became interested in being myself as opposed to just rather than just drinking it um, you, you would hear older uh, guys complain about Cooper's is changing whereas it used to have a thick sediment at the bottom it was thinner it wasn't the same and hearing it uh, change when you speak to uh, Tim for example and he says that one of the most important changes in the quality of the beer has been the move from puncheons um, the old wooden puncheons yeah. that used to overflow and um, I guess when you've got a brewery that is very traditionally based it can be hard to sort of uh, walk that line between ensuring product quality and consistency and all the things that on one hand the market wants and not being seen to either dumb it down or lose yeah. that in product integrity. Yes, I think, look, I think Tim and the brewers, the brewing team have done an outstanding job, um, you know, on, ongoing, but certainly maintaining our, maintaining the traditional sort of uh, production method of ales, you know, the secondary uh, fermentation, the bottle conditioning, um, and the like, which uh, you know, give it that you know, cloudy appearance with the uh, spent yeast and the like. Um, so we've been able to remain very true to the brewing tradition that Thomas Cooper originally set up, um, but we've also now been able to make that very consistent. Um, so that uh, because obviously with the you know, nat- natural conditioning and the like, uh, historically you may get more variation. So I think um, you know it's probably one of the great. Um, triumphs of our uh, brewers and production that we've been able to uh, maintain, if you like, the, the traditional uh, way that our ales have been made, uh, but trans- translate that into a modern brewery. As, as the brewery grows, how hard is it to continue that growth? Um, once upon a time, uh, I guess it's been a long time since Cooper's has had to hand sell and you know, bring in drinkers, drinkers one by one, the way that the... You know, very small brewers that are making 1,200 litre batches do these days. Um, going to beer festivals can uh, get their product yeah. out there. Um, Cooper's has been experimenting with a whole wide range of new platforms to engage its much larger market and in, in, in some ways they can be a little bit impersonal, whether it's the, the, the web um, channels. Um, how hard is it to keep that family feel whilst engaging in, uh, you've recently launched a new website, you've got the, you had a um, Spotify uh, partnership uh, recently, so you're embracing the new uh, communication tools, but still trying to keep that family uh, strength. How hard is that as a marketing director? Oh, I think the, it's, I mean, it's all about connecting with consumers. Uh, and, make, and making, I mean, so I would say for, for our website's a good example where we really, it's a community of people that we're engaged with. Um, uh, so it's not, uh, it's not sort of a, a hard sell, it's about bringing uh, people that want to be part of the Cooper's community in, in, into, the, into the discussion, um, uh, both for the, uh, for the beer products and also I should say um, for the do-it-yourself brewers, the DIY um, home brew element, there's also another uh, key part of the uh, the website, so I think um, you know that that sense of uh, consumers engaging um, with the brand and the family and what have you, keeping that rules important. I mean, obviously there are there are other very basic things around you know distribution and ranging that uh, enable it uh, enable consumers to be able to actually access the beer, uh, and that's a, a you know a, a very very important um, aspect of the whole uh, sales and marketing effort as well. Those uh, nuts and bolts things. Uh, and um, and from a Salesforce point of view, having people that are uh, passionate and uh, um, you know advocates of the uh, 
keepers and what we do is also equally important. So a, a strong um, sales and marketing force is key in that area as well. Uh, I think the you know the the um, digital uh, platforms will continue to grow. Um, but again, it's about making sure that there's a, a realness about that as well, so that uh, you know, people involved in that are, are getting a real response rather than a um, you know a, a pre a pre thought through thing that just comes out um, as a spiel. I'm speaking with Cam Pierce, marketing director, national marketing director for Coopers. Cam, one of the the, the keys for business is understanding who consumes your product. Um, who drinks Coopers? Well, it's a, it's a good question. We've, we've done a reasonable amount of research and, and certainly, um, you know, Coopers has a very eclectic group of people. So, um, you know, we can have um, sort of uh, um, soups and greenies and, um, uh, you know, punters, all, uh, quite a range. But by and large, it's, a, it's sort of a, an informed, um, sort of engaged group of people. Um, but it's not it, it, you, it's not sort of you could uh, split it down to a specific that um, must be demographic. It. So and, and indeed we, we tend to advertise the beer um, because we know so many different people gravitate towards it as distinct from other marketing approaches, which might be to identify your target demographic and then put a person that looks like that target drinking the bottle. Um, but of course, it, it must be a nightmare for a marketing director. To well, it's, it, it, it is and it isn't. I think because if, if you understand that it is an eclectic group um, that operate across a range of areas, um, I mean, albeit in that more premium segment, obviously. Um, so I think uh, sort of understanding that means that you don't, you endeavour never to try and disenfranchise any of your drinkers. I mean, it's a broad. Uh, it's a broad community that enjoy our product, and um, and we love that, and we want um, to for everybody to feel connected to us. One of the things that's often uh, labelled about the new wave of craft beer drinkers, maybe the, the smaller drinkers, um, is the, the hipster yeah. um, you know, guys who are see it as being hip and fashionable. Um, that's benefited Coopers in the past. I recall uh, that in, in the 80s, it was the young university students yeah. who were looking at something that their fathers weren't drinking because yes. in the 70s we'd seen the swing to lagers away yes. from ales and then the next generation grew up wanting something different and uh, embraced Coopers. Um, is that something that craft breweries, that the small craft breweries uh, should be aware of when they see rapid growth now that you know, being, being uh, wary of embracing the fad too much? Oh no, I think, you know, I think uh People, I mean, whether it's there be there's obviously some part of the craft segment which may be fatty, and there's other parts that will be sustainable, and there will be um, you know um, some consumers um, that you know and probably in that younger category that will want to be seen to be drinking um, something different uh, as they would wear something different, um, but but uh, within their group sort of share that same difference. I would love to add there, but yet they all look, end up looking the same. <laughs> well, as you say, that my, my, one of my lads here is 21st just uh, the other day, and, and they, they all look a bit the same in a very fat and modern way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we've talked a little bit about who does drink cookies. Um, who would you like to see... Drinking, who would you like to see drinking Coopers? Who would you like to be encouraging to drink Coopers if you had one target group you'd like to reach? That's a good question. Um, I, I guess, you know, what, what uh, 
I mean, look, the, the ales part of our business, obviously, they're, they're full flavoured and the like. I think, you know, as a, as a company, as a family, as a brand, we're very much an open door so that when people feel that they're ready to come and have a beer with us, then we would love them to do there. So it's very much a, a welcoming kind of um, sort of approach that I would take. Um, and I, I think as, as people's uh, tastes develop, um, you know, the, our ales in particular uh, are there for people to engage with. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess um, there's, you know, there's a, it also engaging a bit of a female drinkership as well uh, as, as they, um, you know, seek some of the, the product range. But uh, I think it, it's, um, the, the, our, our portfolios out there, our, our ranges out there, um, and um, a lot of it is about, you know, making sure you've got the distribution and um, ranging so that people can trial it um, and um, enjoy it. So I think it's about making sure that as a brand you've got a very kind of welcoming and open door so that when people, you know, want to try something that we're, we're making, they can. We've heard a little bit uh, of late about the Brewers Association and the campaign they're planning to uh, change the perception of beer. Um, and that's something that I've been a little bit outspoken on, um, particularly when it, it was Lion that announced the, 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 the change. Um, and I can sort of look at the issues that the Brewers Association had identified as being the brand negatives and compared that against some of, for example, Lion's advertising, which uh, highlighted all those and you, you mentioned that it's a one way of advertising is to choose the person that drinks it and have the person drinking it in the advertising reflect that. How hard do you think it will be to change the brand perception of beer? Well look, I think, um, I, I mean firstly in terms of the Brewers Association it's better that Danita Warren's the CEO there so she's better placed to talk to brewers but I think in terms of uh, the industry, uh, players in the industry um, you know, we've all got a responsibility to, um, you know, um, talk about what's good about beer. And as I said, it's natural ingredients. It's um, uh, you know one of the lower alcohol offerings. Um, you know, it's part of uh, you know uh, uh, it can be part of a healthy and happy social sort of existence. So I think um, you know it's important that we uh, keep on advocating for the good things about beer, which there are very very many. Uh, and um, you know that beer doesn't get uh, sort of used for uh, you know where there is misuse. That it's not necessarily a, a, um, a bottle of beer that seems to be the uh, picture that's used to identify that. Um, and and you know where there is misuse, then we target that and address that issue uh, properly. But celebrate the good things about beer um, that uh, make it a uh, you know part of an enjoyable and sociable existence. Okay, well, Coopers has seen 10% uh, compound growth for an extended period of time. What's next? How, how are we going to keep the uh, growth going? Well, I think um, it, it, it's, 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 um, there's still um, good organic growth um, to be had uh, in the eastern states and, and some regional areas as well. Um, you know, I think uh, over time, I mean, in terms of our uh, portfolio, but my primary concern at the moment is to make sure the total portfolio works. So we've introduced, um, uh, you know, those partner brands, um, uh, Artisan Reserve, uh, um, 
came out with, uh, to support uh, celebration. I also want to make that work with Thomas Cooper's selection in the, the premium segment. Uh, our dark ale um, has got a real niche um, and a, a good following, um, and uh, we uh, there's opportunity for that to continue to grow. I mentioned earlier our, our full-flavoured mid-strength um, uh, mild ale um, is growing with the segment, um, and that uh, um, has got more uh, legs to run with it, and we're doing work there. Uh, I mean, sparkling ale again um, with the renaissance of craft actually almost gets um, yeah. a free ride because uh, it, it, it is such a, uh, um, a beer with such a reputation and tradition behind it. And of course, Cooper's original parlay we continue to uh, develop. So, and that's supported, as I said earlier, by the lager range. So a lot of it's about making, you know, making what we've got work well um, and, um, and not necessarily um, getting too hung up on you know, another thing to throw into the mix. Uh, if anything, I, I guess there'll be more uh, activity going forward, and you're sort of seeing it already across in the market generally, uh, you know, around different pack offerings uh, and maybe in container sizes. But uh, uh, you know, seeing, seeing um, offerings beyond just the um, the carton um, of, uh, of four six packs. So there'll be some uh, development in that area, I'm sure, as, as we start to see and you know uh, to try and get price points in the market and things like that. But in terms of our um, you know, product range, it's, it's really about uh, trying to make that work well for us because for, we've got a big portfolio for a company that only has 5% of the market. And as you said earlier, uh, you know, uh, Corona's as big as we are and they've got one product and one marketing budget for one product. And we're trying to spread ourselves across quite a, a, a range. Um, although it's fair to say too that we're, we're a branded house, not a house of brands. Mm-hmm. We've touched on a couple of times how markets change and and evolve, and one of the uh, it was interesting that this year in the Australian International Beer Awards, no gold medal was awarded for the Australian ale, of which Coopers is probably the gold standard or the um, archetype uh, of it. And uh, one of the um, interpretations that was put on it by uh, the head judge was the number of Australian ales are starting to develop a much more aromatic hop character, um, such as the the um, Stonewood Pacific Ale or some of the beers, uh, you know, the, the Kosciuszko Ale, for example, where the aromatic properties of, of the hops are really coming through. Is that something that Coopers needs to be aware of, how uh, the, the, the classic Australian ale is going through an evolution driven by some of the broader trends? Uh, look, I, I mean, yes, we have to be mindful of all those things. I mean, again, I, I was uh, when I was at Beervana at New Zealand um, last year. I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of hoppy um, uh, um, ales and beers uh, in New Zealand. Uh, so I think you know it, it's 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 an area that's there. I think also too. Um, I mean, the over the heavily hopped um, you know, IPAs and the like. I mean, they're not really a sessionable uh, beer, so there's something there for to sort of um, sample and taste, perhaps. But I, I think but going even back beer to such a, as Kosciuszko or uh, Stone and Wood, which would probably be a little bit less beer yeah, even than yeah. the, the classic Cooper's Pale. Yes. Uh, but just something with that, that, that dancing mm. hop um, aroma on the top, without increasing the level mm. of bitterness necessarily. Is that is that something that Cooper's is Look, mindful I, of? I, I, I think one's mindful of one's competitive all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, we're, we're, you certainly don't operate in a vacuum. So, look, I, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, there's there's been a plethora of new products come on the market and I suppose you see which ones really start to take 
um, and uh, but and um, you know if it's a, a kind of an ongoing uh, trend or whether it is um, you know more more temporal um, and uh, yeah keep an eye on it. But I guess you know we're still um, notwithstanding all that. You know, uh, Cooper's original pale ale and sparkling ale. I mean, they're they're sort of still in growth. So it's also that matter of um, you know uh, you put another product on to meet that little niche as well. So I think um, yeah, keep a good eye on those things and and see you know whether it's a transient or permanent. And you did mention uh, looking at pack formats. One of the things I've been watching uh, with uh, great interest is the. Uh, um, Awareness of Dr. Tim's uh, pale ale in cans mm. um, has really uh, become a big thing. But pale ale in cans is nothing new to Coopers. You've been uh, canning for the best part of a decade, I believe, mm. or even longer Long than a decade. decade. Yeah. Um, suddenly craft beer has started to can and it's become a bit of a thing. Will we see a wider distribution for Dr. Tim's? Yeah, look, Dr. Tim's is already available outside SA, um, but it's tended to focus a bit more on the sort of, what we were talking about earlier, those sort of crafty places that, that are looking for something a bit different. Uh, and I think part, part of that you know, craft um, evolution that's been going on uh, has had a can focus because, um, you know, certainly from an import point of view, you, you don't have light strike and those sort of things. Are happening and uh, and the like. So, uh, so yeah. So Dr. Chim's is now available and um, you know going well, and it's a, a you know another good good one to have in the portfolio and works well, and, and has its sort of place. Uh, yeah. I guess it's a perfect format for uh, camping. Yeah, well, yeah, so out, outdoor boats and the like. Um, uh, same, same with mild ale. I mean, mild ale does well for that reason too. You know, three point five percent in a can, and um, you know, out on the boat or camping or what have you works well. Was Coopers a little bit slow to, to jump on the trend, do you think? Would you like to have seen it, or should they have been ahead of the market with, with, with cans? Trend. Cans, uh, beer and cans? Um, look, we've, yeah, we've had cans for, I mean, look, we've had cans for a while, I think. Um, the, the history of the company is always around, you know, bottles and bottle fermentation and, and the like. So even going into kegs was was you know somewhat recent. Um, Actually, maybe yeah. that, that's a very interesting uh, sort of sideline. A lot of people may not realise uh, that Coopers was one. It was only the seventies or eighties right. yeah. that it was that it was finally available on tap. Before yeah. then, uh, ever since the days of uh, Thomas Cooper, um, it was only ever bottled beer. That's right, and, and indeed, in the early, very early days, it wasn't distributed through hotels. It was just you know, done on the back of a wagon. So it was only in the, uh, the early nineteen hundreds that it went into the hotels as well. So, uh, uh, so, it's, and, and also with the uh, you know, the the, uh, the can format with ales is a, a different um, you know, production or manufacturing uh, requirement. Which is best left to Tim and Nick to uh, talk to you about when you have a go, have a shot with him on the radio. I, I don't want to trip up on too much on manufacturing um, errors. I know that there's a lot of trick <laughs> involved in uh, getting the beer in cans. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, it's best, best that um, uh, Tim, Tim is chief brewer and uh, Nick Sternberg is operations. John Penis is in brewing that they they address those ones. But uh, I think um, you know, I mean, the reality is we're in a position where we can produce beer in cans. As I said, we've done Carlsberg in the 500 format. Uh, we do lager and light, um, uh, clear in the 355 uh, uh, mil can format, um, and mild, as I said as well. So we've we've got that can offering out there for um, um, you know for for the range. So um, it, it's there and it has its place. 
campus. Every journalist loves an exclusive. Is there anything that you can uh, reveal to us exclusively today that Coopers has got in the in the wings? Um, uh, no, I think I've told you all I know. Uh, <laughs> no, your exclusive was it's the first time I've been with you. <laughs> Cam Pierce, thank you very much for your time and thank you for joining us on Radio Brews News. Thanks very much, Matt. There we go, Prof. Hopefully uh, we've given Lockie a nice tight show to pull together. Yeah, and I think, look, to, based on, on what Cam has just said, that we do also have a lot of listeners, I guess, who, whether they realise it or not, are influenced by marketing. They're, they're influenced by advertising and brand loyalty, and um, there's always an interesting debate about where Cooper's sits uh, in the whole you know, uh, craft beer landscape is it is it craft is it too big to be craft is it do they brew too many you know mainstream style beers to be craft and uh, you know oh they've been around so long they can't be craft um i think what cam's given us uh, for our listeners will help to just kind of i guess put a few pieces of the puzzle into place yeah exactly so you know don't forget listeners if you if, if there is anyone that you want to speak to um or, or you want to hear us speak to Please uh, shoot in an email. Um, you can get Pete and I on Twitter. Um, I'm Good Beer Matt. Pete is Beer Blokes. You can find us on Facebook. You can leave comments in the comments section uh, of, of each episode. Uh, or flick us an and, email. And, uh, the other thing, Prof, if they Google Stop us, us on the find our, they'll probably find our mobile numbers as well. Buy, buy um, us a beer <laughs> in a pub and say, hey, I've always wanted to listen to insert your favourite beer person here. Exactly. So uh, please let us know and we'll uh, get Lockie on the job. So anyway, <laughs> without any further ado, let's strike up the band. It's a, a new, a new, a slightly funkier, it's a different kind of uh, beer barrel polka outro. Well, that's one of the things. Lockie's, Lockie's not just the editor. He's also our uh, booking agent. So he's going to get a couple of different bands in from time to time. So right. okay, see how we go. Okay, Prof, always good to chat to you. Uh, talk to you again very soon. Take care. See you guys. Roll out the barrel, we'll have a barrel of fun. Roll out the barrel, we've got the blues on the run. Sing boom to rara, sing out a song of the cheer. Now's the time to roll. And we're out.